Our Father and our God, we thank you for this new day that you've blessed us with. We thank you for life and breath. Lord, we are here to worship you in truth and in spirit. And we pray, Lord, as we would sit here and hear your word, we ask that you would speak to us, that you would some way uh, reveal yourself through the power of your word. For those that already believe in you as the true and living God, that we would be encouraged and uplifted to continue to carry on. And for those that may not know you as Lord and Savior, that you would convict them through the power of your word, for it is the power of salvation to all that would believe. Lord Jesus, we ask for that saving faith to believe that you are the Son of God, that you left your throne, entered and dwelt amongst man as man yet fully God, and willingly laid down your life on the cross for our sin. You took our place, and then you arose victoriously the third day, as you said you would, and you now are at the right hand of the Father. Thank you for doing that for us, that we may know you. We pray a a blessing on the balance of this day, those that are still traveling at camp, We thank you for your travel mercies and uh, ask that you would continue to provide uh, safe travel to all those that are traveling to camp or otherwise. We commit everything that is said to your honor and to your glory, and we pray it in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning, I'd like to talk about Three ways that we can worship. Three ways that we can worship. Through service, through being still, just by sitting, and through sacrifice. And there is an event that occurred that we're going to read about that really bring this to life. And it's found in John chapter 12. Please turn, if you have your Bibles, to the Gospel of John chapter 12. We're going to read the first 11 verses. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, why was not the ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. Then said Jesus, let her alone. Against the day of my bearing hath she kept this. For the poor always ye have with you, 
but me ye have not always. Much of the people of the much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he raised from the dead. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death, because that by reason of him many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. So we have these three siblings, Mary, Martha, and their brother Lazarus, who were uh, not too long ago at Lazarus's funeral. So we are going from a funeral to a dinner. This dinner was in honor of Jesus and what he did in raising Lazarus from the dead. As uh, we can indicate, uh, presumably all the disciples were there in attendance, but for some reason only Judas Iscariot is mentioned by name. Judas was uh, the holder of the money box, so clearly there were uh, times throughout their travels with Jesus that people would give, contribute money to the ministry. And Judas was the one that, that handled those funds. I would have thought it was, would have been Matthew. He was the tax collector. Made sense, perhaps, that he would be the one doing it. But no, it was Judas that was the, the one that held the bag. This event actually is a really big deal that this dinner was in their home. I think it's still like that in, in Europe, uh, perhaps in, in Germany, I guess in Switzerland as well. When you are invited to someone's home, that is a big deal. Unlike uh, what we practice here in the States, uh, with, without hesitation, we open our homes and invite others, but uh, in Europe, that is a big deal when that, that occurs. And so this was a big deal. Interesting to note that Mary, Martha, and, and, and Lazarus were effectively provided this home, actually. Bethany was a place designated for those that did not have the wherewithal to have their own home, and so it was provided. And Bethany, I believe, being interpreted as the house of the poor, so we could assume that this home was provided for them. This whole event, the dinner, this celebration, was done to recognize what Jesus, the amazing thing that Jesus did for Lazarus. They wanted to honor him and thank him. And really that is what is included in the definition of worship. Worship happens out of the outflow of a grateful heart for who God is and what he's done. And this outflow is something that we're going to be looking at uh, just a little closer in in terms of worship. So let's look at the the three ways that worship 
takes place in just these few verses that we've read. The first one we read about is Martha. And it simply says in verse 2, Martha served. Let's, let's go back and read of an account where Martha's action in, in her service was a little bit more detailed. And that's found in Luke chapter 10. So if you don't mind, let's flip back to Luke chapter 10. We'll read verses 40 through 42. So this was an earlier event where, again, Martha invited Jesus to her home. And Martha was cumbered about much, with much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. I have that underlined in my Bible which shall not be taken away from her. Mary, uh, Martha rather, learned that lesson. She has a servant heart, but she gets frazzled with all of, all of the planning and the execution of the planning. And I'm sure there's some Martha's typical Marthas in terms of behavior in this room. The ones that are very much planners, detailed planners. Those of you that love checklists, you have a checklist for your checklist. You make sure that absolutely every itemized detail is checked off. Nothing is missed off that checklist. It's all about getting things done. You're doers. You don't like things untied, unfinished. You want them finished, and you want the gratification of checking that task off. Martha learned that being frazzled, being burdened through service is not what needed to take place. Jesus uses the, the, the simple fact that Mary was there. She's chosen the form of worship which will never be taken away from her. In practical ways, the way that we worship can be through service, service to others. Colossians 3, verses 23 to 24. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, 
knowing that the Lord, knowing that of the Lord, ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. So the way that we can honor, the way that we can worship, the way that we can thank the Lord for what he's done for us is to model service in that spirit, in the spirit of Jesus, at church, at work, at home, as if we are doing it to the Lord. At church, it's all too easy to to rely on the 80-20 rule, which is 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And so perhaps sometimes we have that attitude where someone else is going to do it. I don't have that gift. I don't have that talent. I'm going to allow someone else to step up and do it. But the way that we worship through service is us stepping up and not allowing someone else to do it. We're going to do it at church, at work, At work is the challenge, isn't it? Honoring your boss, honoring your coworkers, perhaps those that, that uh, report to you, honoring them. You honor them through your service, not because you're getting a paycheck, not because you're going to be evaluated um, as far as how well you're doing, but you're doing it for the Lord. And then how do we serve at home? Our spouses, our kids, our neighbors, our friends. Our form of worship through service can come through. And they can see that uh, we have a far greater calling. It's someone that we're doing this for and demonstrating our love and adoration and thankfulness to God. Emotes presents to them so clearly that we're not just doing it for lip service. We're not just doing it for some ulterior motive. We're doing it because we love the Lord. We love them. We want them to know the Lord as well. And that's what Martha demonstrated. And in just those two simple words, how profound Martha served. No complaining, did not consider it a burden. She served because she was serving her Lord Christ. Let's take a look at Lazarus. Verse 2. The second one is to simply sit. And if you read it, you might consider Lazarus as, wow, he seems incredibly lazy. He's just sitting there. At first glance, you may consider Lazarus as being lazy, just lounging back, doing nothing, allowing his sisters. And you know what? He was just dead a day or two ago, so he might have the right to ask his sisters to to help out here and and, and get him a a meal, prepare a meal, or, or bring the meal to the table as they were lounging back. Someone said that perhaps he was just dead tired. Thank you. And not being lazy. Um, And I think we need to show Lazarus a little bit of grace. He wasn't being lazy. He was practicing what many of us neglect. 
what many of us neglect, and that is enjoying the presence of the Lord. And that's what Lazarus was doing. Sitting, enjoying the presence of the Lord. No other distraction, no other priority, no other person or thing could displace him from that moment of sitting and being still in the presence of the Lord. That's what he was practicing. To be with him, to talk with him, to ask him questions. That was his desire, to be still and to know that he is God. To sit quietly in his presence, not being hurried, meditating on his word, as we meditate on his word night and day, and to listen to the still small voice. This takes discipline, and we must be disciplined to remove the distractions. So fast forward to today. All of the many distractions. Could time be a distraction? So baseball has been around for well over 100 years, right? America's great pastime. There is now a clock that governs the game of baseball. And the purists are just beside themselves that the game would actually now be timed. And most recently, I just found this out, tennis is now timed. You have a certain allotment of time to serve. So these few sports, I guess golf will be next, the great game of golf, somehow, someway, a clock timing will be introduced into that sport. So time, I suspect, could be a distraction. The reason they introduced the clock for baseball is they just could, people could not sit through a three, four-hour baseball game. They could not focus. And so the only way to, to get their attention is to speed things up. Well, when it comes to this form of worship, of sitting and being still, to just sit in the presence of the Lord, takes discipline, and we need to take the time. We need to schedule the time. We need to schedule the time to sit in the presence of the Lord, to be still and to know that he is God, to be quiet in that alone time with Jesus, to allow him to reveal to us and to show us the things that are in our heart. As he peels away the layers, layer after layer, layer after layer, for us to finally understand for ourselves what's in our heart. You see, so many times we have hid far, far away, even from ourselves, it's, if that's possible, in, in a chamber that we've, we've locked up that we don't want opened, we don't ever want opened again. A lot of regret, a lot of sadness, um, ugly sin, 
that we're guilty of. And not only is that locked up, but there are filters. There's all kinds of defensive filters in front of it. So everything is blurred. We can't look at it clearly. We, we can't. It brings too much hurt. The Lord Jesus, in that quiet time, can remove those filters and can help us understand what's in our heart. There's no substitute in being in the presence of the Lord. James says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. We worship when we serve. We worship when we simply sit in the presence of the Lord. Third, let's look at Mary. We worship through sacrifice. Mary provided an incredible sacrifice. It was prophetic. It was a prophetic gesture. It was tender. And it was an incredible form of devotion to the Lord. This sweet fragrance, this costly ointment that was poured over the feet of Jesus, which Mary wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Let me just repeat that. The house was filled with the odor of the ointment. That sweet fragrance, that sweet smell. And it's incredible how some certain smells trigger our our memory. There's a fragrance, there's a smell, and it transports us uh, way back um, to an event or a place. Quite frankly, we smell and we give off an odor from the things that we spend most of our time doing. For example, you're constantly going to the gym. Well, guess what you smell like when you come home from the gym? You smell like the gym. It doesn't take a, a whole lot of time to figure out if you spent any time having a meal at McDonald's. McDonald's has a fragrance. You have a meal at McDonald's. You hop in the car or you come home. People typically surmise that, yeah, you just had a meal at McDonald's. You're like, how in the world did you know? We give off the smell from the things, the places that we spend most of our time. The world has a smell. I would argue it's a stench, but the world has a smell. And what's interesting is the world also knows the scent and the smell of those that claim Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Think about that. 
They know when you enter a room. They know you're a righteous Gentile by your odor. Co-workers, your friends, they know. This odor filled the room. And it's amazing how the Lord provides us an, an odor, a sweet fragrance that we read in Scripture, and we'll read that in, in a few minutes, that is recognized, is considered pleasant by God. That fragrance that we have from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And now for the disciple that was actually called out by name, Judas Iscariot, the holder of the bag, the money box, has something to say. After he was eyewitness to those three ways of worship, serving, sitting in the presence of the Lord, being still, and sacrifice, that all of it was a waste of time, was rubbish, the fragrance should have never filled the room, the bottle should have never been opened, should have been given to the poor. And the scripture is not short to qualify that that was not in Judas Iscariot's heart. Verse 6, this he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and he held the bag. So he had the purse strings and perhaps helped himself to the funds, uh, the donations that were in that bag. And so that's the reason that he had to make that statement. But he was rebuked, immediately rebuked by the Lord Jesus. Let her alone against the day of my bearing hath she kept this. For the poor you will always have, but me you will not have always. So the Lord is just simply saying that his time on earth is coming to an end. This fragrance did was costly. And a little research that I did, I, I just found some interesting notes. How they came across this, right? If this home was provided for them in Bethany, uh, they didn't have the wherewithal to, you know, with these 300 pence, if in fact that was the, the actual uh, going rate for that. How did they get it? Well, um, what I found in, in my, my studies was perhaps that this was gifted to them at the, the death of their parents. So uh, we, we read nothing about the parents. So perhaps they, they were orphaned. They were by themselves, these three siblings. And so this was a gift given to them uh, as, as an inheritance or, or otherwise that they would be able to use just to, to sustain themselves in their life. And this was all sacrificed in the moment. This 300 pence, by the way, is a year's salary, not including uh, Shabbat, right? They don't work 
on the Sabbath, and so you, you pull those out of the equation, so there's 300 some, some days without, without Shabbat in there, so it's a year's salary. How many of us have sacrificed an entire annual salary for the Lord's work? An entire, an entire year's salary. That's what Martha sacrificed in this moment. That nest egg, what, what, if that, that is the case, that this is something that, that they had that was gifted to them, sacrificed it in that moment. You know, our sacrifice, it doesn't matter the size uh, or the amount. When we sacrifice, there needs to be some hurt or it's not sacrifice, right? Those that give of of their excess, is that really sacrifice? The Lord demonstrated that with the woman that gave the two pennies, the two pence. That that amount, though it was insignificant, was all that the woman had. And it was valued in, the, in, in, in Christ's evaluate more than all the other contributions that were given that day. The sum of all of that paled in comparison to that sacrifice of that woman that gave everything she had. We will always have a Judas Iscariot in our life. They're the ones that come up and ask, why would you do that? Why would you serve, sacrifice your time for the Lord, for church? For you being a follower of Jesus Christ, you would make that kind of sacrifice? It makes no sense. Don't do it. Stop doing it. It's worthless. You're not going to get anything out of it. We hear some of those naysayers in things that we've been convicted of that we want to do, and we're doing it for the Lord, and they come by and say, oh, no, 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 you got it all backwards. You need to stop doing this. Your plans are all goofed up. No, I'll tell you how it's going to end, and it's not going to end well. You need to, you need to course correct. Just like Jesus rebuked Judas Iscariot, we need to rebuke those naysayers. The fragrance filled the house. To conclude... I'd like to read out of 2 Corinthians chapter 2 that speaks to this aroma, this fragrance that we have of the Lord Jesus Christ as his followers, as his children, redeemed and bought by his shed blood and have been gifted eternal life as he arose victoriously the third day, conquering both sin and death. We read... Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the Savior of his knowledge by us in every place. 
for we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. That is the savor, the odor that we emote. The savor of Jesus Christ. And it reaches far above heaven to God that delights in that. I hope today that you consider these three ways of worship through serving the church, the family, the way you serve it at work, your children, neighbors, being still and just making time to sit in the presence of the Lord and tend to sacrifice, to sacrifice to the Lord, regardless of, of amount or size, but knowing that you are making that sacrifice for the Lord. In those three ways, we can show our love and outflow uh, from our heart the joy and the goodness that we have in God for who he is and what he's done for us.